This morning, uh, we finally finish our series on fear, which we've been in for several weeks now. Um, and I know that I've not addressed everything within the realm of fear. And so for everything that we could have talked about in the series but didn't, I apologize. So there's no need to come tell me after the sermon the stuff that I didn't talk about is really where I'm going with that. All right. So uh, in case you missed any of the sermons in this, here's your review. Okay, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't worry, God's got this. Okay, that's my paraphrase. Um, Jesus takes about 10 verses to say that, but that's, that's what he says, right? He says, you don't have to worry. The pagans run out and worry about stuff. And by the way, worry doesn't help anything. Uh, we should be people who live by faith and not by fear. And I, I read this in the Sermon on the Mount, and I struggle with this, okay? I think this is one of the hardest teachings that Jesus gives in all of Scripture. And I know that in my own life, I let my fears and worries hold me back way too often. Uh, but I don't want to live that way anymore. Um, so my personal New Year's resolution uh, has been, this year I will fear less and be driven by my worry a whole lot less than I have in my past, right? I want to be a person who walks more in faith. Does that work? Okay, so the first fear that we talked about was the fear of loss. Okay, I fear losing my family or losing my dreams, losing the things that are most precious to me. And so we looked at a number of the promises of God in Scripture regarding the things that we can never lose. Okay, and the big takeaway from week number one of this was that God promises us those things that we can never lose vastly outweigh the things that we can Okay, and if I will learn how to lean into the things that God has promised me that are eternal, that I can never lose, that helps me to fear less. Does that work? Okay, fear number two uh, is the fear of the unknown. Okay, we live in a very uncertain world. I don't know what's going to go on. I don't know what's going to go on with our country, with our world. There's always scary things in the news. Uh, I also don't know what my personal future holds. Uh, one thing I do know is that my future will be different than it is today, Right? Okay, and in a similar way to point number one, what we did is we looked at a number of the things that God promises us in Scripture, and we realized that the things that we do know vastly outweigh the things that we don't know. Okay, so number two is, if I can lean into those things, if I can focus on the promises of God for the things that I do know about my future and where we're all going and how that's all going to work out, that helps me with my fear. At least tell me, you remember that lesson? That sounds somewhat familiar. Okay. Number three, the one we talked about last week, was our fear of self. Okay, way too many Christians are walking around feeling like they're unforgivable, or like they're living a fraudulent life, or that if everyone knew how inadequate that they are, nobody would like them. Okay, and the way we get over that fear is a little bit different than number one and two, but we need to learn how to start with who God is, rather than try to start with who we are. Right? If I really understand the nature of God, if I really understand how God is love, and that's the primary way he wants us to know who he is, okay, then it changes my fears of my own failings. Right? I'm never going to be that good. I'm never going to be who God fully wants me to be, but God loves me as I am, and he sent Jesus to take my place. Right? We start with who God is, not with who we are. And that helps my fear. All right, this week's fear is a little different than the first three, uh, but it came up so often in my Facebook interviews and in my research, it would be very criminal not to address it. Uh, plus, with this last fear that we're going to talk about, this gets directly at who we are as a church. What are we trying to accomplish 
here at GCC? Who are we as a people trying to be the people of God? And so this week I want to look at church fears. Okay, what are we afraid of regarding the church? Um, I had a, a professor when I was in school at ACU who spent most of his career preaching and, and doing church consulting. And he said the number one thing that holds churches back is not fear in general. Okay, the thing that really holds us back as the church trying to be the church are the fears that we can't say out loud. Okay? Most of us are motivated by fear to some extent, one way or the other, and that's okay to a degree. Okay, but it's the fears that we can't talk about that really hold us back. And if we can learn how to take those fears from under the table and put them on the table and put them into the light of day and address them, well, then we can decide how we're going to move forward as the people of God and not let those fears control us in unhealthy ways. I thought that was pretty good advice. All right, so here are the top church fears that I came across in my research. Again, uh, this won't cover everything, um, but I think it covers the big ones. All right, number one is we are afraid of the future church being uncomfortable for us. All right, and I'm not talking about uncomfortable in the immature sense of, well, if they don't do everything at that church the way I want to, then I'm going to take my contribution check and go somewhere else, right? We've seen that happen too, but that's not really what I'm addressing here with this fear this morning. Okay, I'm talking about how a lot of us, myself included, are here at GCC because the last church we were at made changes that we felt pushed us out. Okay? Now, what I do, and I know I'm not the only one because I've had some conversations with you about the same thing, is what I do is I project my fears from my past experience onto this church, which is a totally different, much healthier context. Okay, and even though I know it's not the same thing at all, I carry with me my fears from being burned somewhere else and bring it here. Okay? And I know that's not healthy. And I know that what happened there isn't even on the radar here. Okay, but I still worry. That resonates. I see a lot of you nodding at me on that one. I think that that's right. All right, in our last sermon series, uh, we were talking about church values. You remember our sermon series on our values, our big five values here at GCC? Uh, one of our core values is that we are a church that will adapt our methods, right? Um, and we recognize that if we want to, to lean into the future, if we want to continue to reach people for Jesus, um, if we want to be a growing and thriving church, we have to continue to adapt who we are, right? Okay, and I know that that's true, and yet it still can be a source of anxiety because the last place that I want to be uncomfortable is at church because church is supposed to be my anchor of stability in an uncertain world, right? So I don't want to be doing cassette tape ministries or reading from the King James Version only, right? And I'm fine with growing and adapting, but what happens when you change the stuff that makes me uncomfortable? Okay? I think a lot of us have a fear of the future church being uncomfortable for us. Does that work? All right. Number next. Related to this is fear number two, and that is that we are afraid of doing something wrong. Okay, now... Uh, I want you to listen to me very carefully on this point so that you don't miss what I'm saying and think that I'm a total pagan. Okay? I might be a total pagan, but not because of this. All right? I am not at all saying that anything goes. Okay? I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't be concerned with doing things the way that God wants us to do them. All right? So don't hear me say that. Not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we as a people are generally 
not afraid of failing to share the gospel. Okay? Uh, we're not afraid that we might not be growing as we're supposed to as Christians. Okay? We're not typically very afraid of a failure to share with the needy people around us. Those aren't our top fears. Okay? But we are afraid that we might do something wrong in this one hour a week that we gather for worship. And that's a bigger fear to us than all those other fears. Does that make sense? Some of you are looking at me cockeyed. Okay. As I read the Bible, uh, particularly the New Testament, God tells us a lot of things that we should do. Okay, we should take care of orphans and widows. We should love each other. We should share the gospel. We should go out and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? You've heard those things before, right? We should do those things. Uh, we should worship. We should give. Okay, there's a lot of things that God tells us we should do so that we can be a church on mission. Okay, I would argue that most of the New Testament is about keeping us as the church focused on the mission of God. There are relatively few things that God tells us not to do, and most all of those have to do with morality. Okay? Uh, so don't lie, cheat, and steal. Uh, don't go visit the temple prostitute. Uh, don't cheat your neighbor or gossip about people. You know, that kind of stuff. Okay, we're supposed to be a moral people. And most of the New Testament's addressing two things. One, it's you as the church stay on mission. Okay? Take Jesus to all the world, be salt and light. And two, be moral. Okay, avoid all the immorality that you see around you. That's most of what the New Testament is doing. It's teaching us to do those two things. Okay, but what we've often done, and I'll, I'll admit as an insider who's only ever been in Churches of Christ, what we've often done as Churches of Christ people okay, is that we have let our fear of doing something wrong paralyze us from what should be a focus on carrying out the mission of God. Okay, so... If we change the order of worship, or if we clap during songs, or if we were to do something like have a woman get up and make announcements, which we're not doing, okay? Okay, but we have a huge fear that we might be doing something wrong, and we will focus a whole lot more energy on that than we ever will on carrying out the Great Commission. Okay? You know, one of the ways this manifests itself uh, is that some people come to worship, and their primary question is, do I agree with everything we did today? Okay, instead of asking the question, did I encounter the living God in worship today? Okay. Um, I've heard some people when they're, and this is just hitting me personally, right? My own personal gripes because it's, I get to preach. Um, but people will have, their primary question when they're listening to a sermon is, did I agree with everything the preacher said as opposed to, did God have something to say to me today through his word? Okay. And I hate to break it to you, uh, but God's not going to show up because we were so perfect. But God will show up here because we have hearts that long for him. Okay? If we come to church in order to check a box because we're supposed to, right? Or we're trying to just get, get our steps done that we've got to do to make God happy with us, we're missing it, right? If instead we come because we love the Lord and we're trying to be the people he has called us to be and be on mission that he wants us to be on, that's a different thing, right? I would much rather stand before God on the day of judgment and say to him, you know what, our church got some things wrong, but we were fully committed to carrying out the Great Commission and loving people in the name of Jesus. 
Okay, I would rather do that than say to God, well, we were so worried never to do anything wrong that we played it really safe in worship every week, and we ended up not ever reaching anybody at all. Right? I don't want to be the guy that buries his talent in the ground because he's scared of losing it. I think Jesus said something about that, right? I read that somewhere. Okay? Again, am I in favor of getting things wrong? No. <laughs> that, that, that should have been an easy question. Okay? Am I in favor of getting things wrong? No, not at all. But I don't want this fear, number two fear, to keep us from being a people who boldly go out and keep the mission of God first. That work? Okay. All right. Number three. Third fear. Uh, we are afraid of our kids not having a good church option. Okay? We are afraid of our kids losing their faith. Um, you've heard data before. We've talked about it here before about how the church in North America is in decline, and it's pretty terrifying, to be honest. Uh, and I don't want to belabor this point any more than necessary, but every single week I see another article or listen to another interview on a podcast talking about the declining of Christianity in North America. And so one of my fears is not even for me, but I fear what is the church going to look like 50 years from now when my kids and grandkids really are going to need it, right? What are the options going to be like? I take it for granted that I have good options for where I could go to church. Okay, will they have those same kind of options when they're adults making their own decisions about their faith? And that links into the second part of this fear, which is we've seen lots of our adult children walk away from faith. Even if they've got good options for where to go to church, they're choosing not to go at all. And I worry about what kind of faith my kids or grandkids might have. Will they even choose to be in church? All right, so these are my top three fears. Uh, and again, I know I'm not covering everything with my list here this morning, uh, but this is what showed up in my research, and I think the scripture we're going to look at now covers more than just three, uh, so feel free to apply this to a lot more than just the fears that I've listed up here. Okay? So the scripture I want to read this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Okay, and if you don't remember, here's your background on 2 Timothy. Uh, this is a letter written from an older minister, Paul. This is when Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he's writing this to his protege, Timothy. And as Paul is getting ready to die, uh, this is his farewell address. And so he writes to Timothy saying, I know you're getting ready to be one of the big leaders in the church going forward. Okay, we're getting ready to hand over the reins of this thing to this next generation. And so here's the stuff that you need to know to keep the church on mission. We want to keep the church focused on the gospel. We want to keep the church focused on what it's supposed to be about. So Timothy, here's the stuff you need to know as the old guard is passing away. And as this next generation of church leaders is going to lead us forward. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, here's part of what Paul says. He says, starting in verse 6, he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. 
and of the gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul was pretty good, right? All right. Uh, the first thing I want us to highlight out of this text is that word timidity or cowardice. Uh, if you've got your Bible still up in front of you, it's in verse 7. Okay, the, the Greek word for that, I put it up here so you see how smart I am, um, is dahlia. Okay? Um, and that word means timidity or cowardice. Okay, and the reason I want to highlight that word is because that word is literally referring to what happens when fear wins. Okay? When fear gets to determine the course, this is the word that you use to talk about that. Okay? And the point that he is making is what kind of spirit do we have inside of us by the grace of God? Is it a spirit where fear wins? No. What is it? Okay? Paul says very much instead, we have a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. We are not controlled by fear. We are controlled by power and love and self-discipline. Okay? If you don't hear me say anything else this morning, here's my biggest point. All right? You know, I'm not uh, terribly big on sports, but I know one of the lessons of sports psychology is that if you have two teams playing each other and one team is playing not to lose and the other team is playing to win, which one of those has the bigger advantage? Yeah, if you're playing not to lose, you'll lose. Okay? Instead, if you're playing to win, now we can win. The spirit God has given us is not to do ministry on defense. Right? The spirit God has given us is to do ministry and to be the people that he wants us to be, to be on mission, to lock into the victory that God has already promised us that he's already won for us. Right? We have assurance of victory. We should go out in confidence. Right, and you notice right after verse 7, Paul immediately goes for several sentences on a riff about the gospel and how Timothy can join Paul in living out that gospel. Okay, with the power, the love, and the self-discipline that comes from God, Timothy and the church he's leading in Ephesus can stay on mission. All right, uh, a couple of points of application for what this has to do with us and how this helps with our fears that we bring with us into church. Um, this is keeping our fears in perspective. Okay, let's lift you a couple blanks. You can write these two things down. Okay, uh, two points. Number one, and that is God doesn't give us a task without also giving us the power to complete it. Um, so at my house right now, I've got a little bit of trim work that needs to be done. I've got some boards around my garage that need replacing, that kind of thing. Um, do you think that I'm going to give that job to my six-year-old son as part of his chores? Why not? Because I know he can't do that, right? Instead, the kind of chores that I give my son, the tasks that I put before him, are things like help me empty the dishwasher, take your clothes up to your room, that kind of stuff. He thinks I'm a slave driver for giving him those kind of chores, right? Okay, but I only give him chores that I know he can complete. I only give him tasks to do that I know that he has the capacity to do that I've given him the tools to complete. You see where I'm going with this metaphor, right? God has given us a mission to go out and spread the gospel to people around us. He's given us a mission to be this loving family, living for God and serving our neighbors. He hasn't given us this mission without also giving us the power to complete that mission. 
Okay? Timothy is supposed to lead this church in the next generation. He's supposed to go appoint elders and combat false teaching and spread the gospel in a very pagan environment. And Paul tells him, you can do all of these hard things that you're not sure whether you can do them or not. I guarantee you, you can do them because God wouldn't give you this calling and this task without also giving you the power necessary to do it. Okay? I believe that our church can be a loving family, living for God, serving our neighbors, and doing all the things that we're called to do, because I don't think God would give us that task without also giving us the power to complete it. Okay? That's number one. Number two. I know I make long long points, I'm sorry. But number two. Um, God's people have endured through some incredibly challenging times in history, and this isn't any worse than any of those times. Um, You remember when the people of God were in Egypt? What did God do? He brought them out. Uh, You remember when the people of God were going through conquest after conquest in the book of of, uh, Judges and the foreigners kept coming in and conquering them? And what did God do? He brought them through it, right? Uh, You remember when the children of God went into exile in Babylonian captivity? And what did God do? He brought them through it. Uh, You remember when the children of God started getting persecuted by the Jews when the church first got started? And what did God do? He brought them through it. Uh, You remember when then that changed and the Romans were the ones that started persecuting the Christians? And what did God do? He brought them through it. And you remember when the Roman Empire collapsed and it looked like all the church was going to collapse with it? And everyone was worried about that? And what did God do? He brought them through it. You remember a couple hundred years ago in this country when we desperately needed some revival? And what did God do? He brought us through it. Okay? So I look around us now and I see it's really challenging to do ministry in North America in 2020 in the environment that we're in. What do I think God's going to do? Same thing he did every other time we've gone through a hard time in history. Okay, and what we tend to do is we look around us to the problems that we face and we think, oh, it's never been this bad before. Okay? Uh, and then we open the Bible or open up any piece of church history and we see, man, it's been bad for a long time in a lot of parts of the world all over throughout church history. And if God keeps bringing these people through all those other times, what's he going to do now? Same thing he's always done. Why? Because that's what God does. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out in the research about Gen Z, okay, which is the generation behind the millennials, that suggests they may be the next great revival in this country. Okay? There's a great possibility that, that my kids are going to be part of the biggest revival that America's ever seen. Okay? I don't know if that's going to play out or not, but I have confidence that whatever we're going through as a church, guess what God's going to do? Bring us through it, right? So yeah, there's a lot of churches in decline. Yeah, there's also a lot of churches growing. We're growing. Okay? A lot of churches are reaching people. A lot of churches are making a huge impact for Jesus. What we're going to continue to do at GCC is we're going to continue to look at healthy churches that are reaching people, and we're going to walk alongside them and lean into a future in which we already know that God will be king. Fair enough? And so long as God's on the throne, I don't have to be afraid. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a verse or two of an invitation song. Uh, During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, This is a time in our service where we as the church would love to be here for you. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that is going on in your life. Uh, We'd love to explain to you more about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, However we can help you, we want to do that during this next song. And before we sing that, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. 
and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.